0: <laughs> All right. Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. Hey. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. I'm Stephen. And Stephen's here.
1: Steve, that's Stephen. Stephen. Not Steve to Fenn. be confused. Um, not to be confused
0: with Steve, Stephen. Smith, who was at this podcast, I believe. I Lizzie. believe we had both Stevens. I believe we had the whole crew for this one.
1: Stephen, Stephen.
0: Stephen, This Steven. was a lot of dudes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like Yeah, it was a lot of dudes. <laughs> and our guest. One girl. One girl. Poor girl. Lizzie Goodman, um, a really good friend. She handled it well. She did. Uh, She's a pro. Uh, Yeah, she was here promoting her book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth, and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011. The book is out now. Uh, Lizzie definitely doesn't need us. She was on uh, Seth Meyers' show talking about it. She's done a lot of huge TV appearances. The book is everywhere. It's impressive. It is. It is incredibly impressive. Oral history is... Impressive undertaking. Yeah, she spent five or six years on this. We talk about that a lot. But yeah, it seems like... uh, I know what you're thinking. You guys did this interview a little while ago. Why do not you just release it when the book came out? Because that's when everyone was releasing their interviews. (laughs) We thought we'd... We'd wait till the, the buzz started really going. It's very—it's a strategic move. Well, we it, wanted to see how much buzz there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We thought we might not release it if it wasn't totally if it wasn't enough hype. Yeah,
0: but yeah, but uh, <laughs> once they got the the once once she got the Tonight Show thing, we we're like, all right, I guess, or the Seth Meyer thing. I thought, yeah, let's just release it. So
1: let's he, not give away too much of our of our. You know, plotting and behind the scenes. Brad hates it when I, re-
0: <laughs> when I recap the whole podcast beforehand. No, I'm just saying our
1: strategy. We don't want other podcasts to steal oh, yeah. our strategy. True. Yeah, you True. should
0: see how many podcasts we have we just never released because we're like, didn't really get a lot of buzz. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Throw it in the recycle bin. Yep. We'll save that one for when their career maybe takes off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So we have a whole backlog of talking about current events that are totally dated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was a really good one. Um so happy Lizzie made time for us to come by. Um, yeah, the book's awesome. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it.
1: Uh, I, think, I think it'll sell itself.
0: Yeah, it'll sell itself. Yeah, and if you like this, uh, order the book. Word. It's available now at your local bookseller. All right, here's Lizzie Goodman. It's going on
2: my list of comics that I can't afford to buy anymore and first grade teachers I hope my kids don't get.
3: This is a great metaphor. Your first grade teachers, you hope your kids don't get. Yes. So you don't have a positive list. You have a like absolute no, they're Most
2: No, mostly they're positive. But uh, there's the one mom who's like, she's like, oh, no, they're, they're, they're terrible. You have a don't. It's no, the like parent. the don't playlist at your wedding. It's, yeah.
1: Oh. You know about that?
2: It's uh, like you don't no, give the that DJ like the playlist. Idea. You give them the don't playlist. But that's who we hired for our wedding. It was a company out of Philly episodes. called No Macarena. <laughs> And they would say, even if you ask, we won't play. And they listed all these songs. And I was like, here's a sum of money. Uh-huh. And then I did the whole playlist. No Macarena. It, was really that was the, the name, name of the company. Oh and da- Dave Haas told me about it. And he was <laughs> like, you, he ha- you have to do this. And so I gave them all this money. I gave them all his money. I gave them <laughs> money and then I gave them the playlist. A sum, and I a sum. think you said. Yes. They, they said at the end of it, they said, basically, you just rented our PA. All we did was just play what you put you're like, like you're right welcome on. It's like, i Thanks. did a
3: great job at my wedding thank well,
2: you i hired a great
4: band <laughs> they ripped it uh-huh yeah oh, yeah and when i was listening i was like basically i'm like i just don't want white vocalist <laughs> or a shitty drummer and then i can deal with it <laughs> and that I was found, your don't playlist and you know what it worked out perfect. yeah who is this okay. band oh my god um what are they mm, called? Mm. Uh <laughs>
3: oh! Uh oh! Busted. Good night,
4: memorable night. I never go on my phone at a podcast, but I'm doing it here because it's name important. Is too much. Do this. Let's move on to something else, and I'm going to blow all your minds. With that the Five dollars an edit. You know that, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> to make <God>. you look <laughs> good. Uh, so, Lizzie, you wrote a book.
3: I did. <laughs> it's crazy. Are you
0: sick of talking about it? Or you like talking? No, about it? I'm
3: so excited. To- I can't believe yeah. it's still that point where I'm just like, oh my god, other people are going to read it.
0: How like how what's the like how long start to finish would you say from like conceptualizing it to like what's happening now?
3: Literally, okay. So this is funny because I remember that when I went to interview those guys, which I think was in it's six years. It's six, six years, five years of writing. I had sold the book right before I went to do that gaslight interview because I remember that Ken to prep them about who the hell I was, was like, yeah, she, I don't know, this writer in New York, she just sold this book. But the New York rock scene, which of course at the time could mean absolutely nothing other than like, great. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Do we have to like toast her or something at the interview? I don't know. But it was, there. you know, there was a sense of like their publicists had prepared them for dealing with me by announcing the news that I was going to write it. And
4: it was sort of as if like, at the time especially, we needed like more like... (laughs) Oh, you should really do this Times piece that's going to be in the Sunday Times. <laughs> I, you could have told me fucking Elmer Fudd was writing it. No offense to you. And oh I would no, no have been I'm not offended. Stoked. It was <laughs> like like there was nothing that could have happened that would have made us say no in any way.
3: It was extra cred for me. So
4: that yeah. was that was extra Weinstein just going out of. Weinstein out of his was way. like feeling
3: the need to like yeah. really rub it in or something. But I remember being he like, Oh people up. yeah, but it was funny because one. I was like, Oh right, I'm going to write that. Because there's that space between like, I told everyone I would write this book, and a reality of actually doing it.
2: I remember you mentioning it, and I think I said something like, oh, so nothing really daunting.
3: God. Like, how do you... If you said that, I should have listened so, to you. Yeah. like what's, yeah. So What a do crazy... You just make, you no, make... I'm, an, I'm a crazy, like a stupid, stupid person decided so, to do this. So
0: do you just like go down and make a list of all the people you want to talk to, yeah. and then like outline it out, and then just like just start so
3: okay no first what you do is convince your like you have to be insane like I was just like that should get done someone should totally do an oral history like I went and saw both the shows that um, the book ends with like LC Sound Systems then final show which is hilarious now to consider that that's what they were saying <laughs> but good for them they um, said it many times they said it many times <laughs> It was said more than once. It was believed by many, probably even them. Um, I went to that show and I saw The Strokes play MSG the same, like in the same couple day period, and I was like, "Huh." Like I remember feeling during that experience of seeing those shows back to back that, like, there was sort of this that bands that I'd considered mine or out or somehow kind of peers were like establishment. Um this is I I have said this before at this point but I watched like Susan Sarandon was at the LCD sound system show and I'm obsessed <laughs> with Susan Sarandon and I could see her the whole time so I basically did not really see the LCD sound <laughs> system show I saw Susan Sarandon <laughs> watching the LCD sound system show and I would be like oh she likes that's oh interesting oh like what's she doing now oh she needs did to she get know a beer the She was like singing along wow. sometimes Yeah wow. I know and so it was sort of like okay that's interesting and then that was 2011, like spring of 2011, and then it took me a year to kind of – during that time was the crazy person took over and was like, yeah, you should write a book about this, and that book should be an oral history because those aren't hard. <laughs>
2: I can't even imagine. I'd never
3: written one. Yeah,
2: like what – so you've never written one. I know you've, you've all read a bunch, but like yeah. – Who do you go to to say, what's step one of an oral history?
3: Well, first, I had to sell it so that I would have a shitload of pressure to actually make it happen. I Mm -hmm. don't do anything without... Like, that's the the actual secret. Like, convince people who will sue you if you don't deliver it that (laughs) you can do a thing that you think somebody should do.
4: Can you tell someone from the outside, like, what that process is like? Because it seems... I I would have no concept of how you go from, like, just the idea of a book to actually getting someone to agree with it. And then what are the terms after as far as like, when do you have to deliver and what do you have to deliver and stuff?
3: (laughs) Sure. Um, Okay. So the first step is that you conceive of like, like if you're making an album and you have a really strong notion for what you want it to feel like to listen to, not even necessarily what you want it to sound like. But, like, you're not going to demo it out. You're just going to say, okay, so when you're playing this record, you're going to feel like you're 16 and you just bought a Camaro and you're driving down the Pacific Coast Highway or something. I mean, you know, whatever it is, just for example. <laughs> not <laughs> that I've ever great. thought about muscle cars in the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, but, and then you like build out. So it's like that. Like, I basically said, here's how it will feel to read this book. And, mm. But the way you know you do that by saying, "I will have these sources, and I will have those sources." But because you can basically say, "I will execute x, y, or z thing without any actual proof that you will be able to do that, right. you can fantasize about a theoretical, perfect product. and it's it's both totally dangerous to do that in that you have no idea if you can deliver it, but it's also really helpful because then if if it in this case, it they believed me, then you do have a kind of benchmark for what you want it to look like. So the actual, it took me almost a year to write the proposal. Mm. It was 70 pages long. Wow. Whoa. I and is go there, overboard by Is there nature. like
4: potential content yes. inside of the proposal? Yes,
3: but it's narrative. So this is oral gotcha. history, right? But right. like I didn't use, I mean, I used, I basically wrote it like a spec piece describing the what the book I would see. be. So there were quotes from the artist, but not original quotes. It was like, Albert Hammond Jr. has said this kind of thing in right, right, press. Right, right, we right. will explore that. And the structure of it was pretty similar to, I mean, not exactly, but like not that dissimilar from what ended up being there. So I really did know what the benchmark was in terms of what I was promising to deliver. And then you take that proposal around to publishers and they read it and then they bid on it, ideally, and that's what happened here.
4: And you do it personally or this is like the... Via... An agent does it. Yeah.
3: Um, but the person who ended up buying the book is, a, is an editor I've known for a long time who does a lot of music books and is a friend and she does Rob Sheffield's books and she's done... She did Kim Gordon's book and she's a big music fan and a kind of like the right the she she really wanted it and was also like the right woman for the job i think but there was i mean it was cool there was like when i first went to meet with some of the people who would need to be important to actually getting this done like managers and stuff there it was interesting how there's sort of that rock thing of like well what do you think anyone will even care do you think anyone (laughs) and i was like i do in fact because i've been to the publishing houses and they're like pretty psyched um (laughs) But so, Carrie, my editor, or like book and our
4: guys, as shitty, yes. it's like the same kind of.
3: There's a lot of like, <laughs> yes, okay. it's important to. They call it managing expectations. Uh. I call it being an asshole. Um, but there's a sort of yeah. There's a kind of like it. You have no one wants to say that they think something will be big or important or that anyone will care, especially if they were involved in it. But so that's how it works. And then yeah. you, I sold the book, and then there's like this really glowing period where you're like, right on. Like, yeah, that worked out. And then you're like, oh my God. Like,
4: I have to deliver this.
3: Yeah. And that's like to answer your question where that's where, yeah, I had a list of everyone I said would be in the book. So it wasn't hard to, I knew who my targets were, but then going, just starting that, it's just so many interviews. It's so many interviews.
2: And when you do the interviews, is it, I was thinking about this as I was reading it. Do you have like a set of questions for each person? Obviously catered towards the band, I'm thinking. But then you have to be able to form a narrative in your head. So I know that George R. R. Martin from Game of Thrones pays someone... Bayonne, New Jersey. ...to represent. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> Get in there, Benny. Yeah. Get right in there.
2: Like, <laughs> Throw in the dart. <laughs> he, he pays someone to to Extrapolate lines and keep track of like all the characters, you know what I mean? Like JK what? Rowling, oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. have people because there's so many of them. Call me,
3: call me person <laughs> who does this. For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, <laughs> this
2: is this is all you,
3: oh, yeah. They oh, in God. film they call it what is that continuity yeah. editing? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. dying yeah. for one of those by the end, like dying. Um, yeah, I did it all myself because oh, I'm in,
4: is, is you know, I
3: book? had a breakdown and no. moved upstate during well, listen, this, I right? Do,
4: I, I noticed, okay, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, that's fun. So.
3: <laughs> well, that's no accident. I mean, you. yes, it's, it's very hard to answer your question. I didn't... I did not... The interviews change based on how far along in the process you are. So at the very beginning, it's like completely open-ended, right? You're like, I know nothing yet. I have nothing on the record. So you just sit down and talk to people like you would anyone, you know? And of course, yeah, if you're interviewing... It's band specific or era specific, but short of that, I mean, the kind of points that I hit with almost everyone, I mostly started with what is your, this is how the book starts. What was your first memory of the idea of New York? Mm. Because that's the theme. Like, it's not a book about a particular band. There are plenty of books. I'm, it's already starting and I welcome it and understand it, but you know, there are plenty of people already like, you really missed some steps about X, Y, or Z band. And it's like, right, because it's not a biography. Like right. this is not a narrative of, it's not the complete history of the Strokes or the IAS or LCD sound system. It's, it's, a, it's a story about New York and the idea of New York cool, basically, during this period of time and how that radiated and shaped culture, right? Mm. And these are the characters who formed that. Um, who participated in shaping that idea. And that's why they're relevant. Um, so I started with that for almost every interview. I asked about nine eleven for almost every interview. Um, I asked about digital stuff for almost every interview. What was the first song you remember downloading? What was the first, if you're in a band, when did the first person, when was the t- first time a fan came up to you and asked you to sign a burn CD?
4: Because yeah, <laughs> imagine every <laughs> band involved in this book definitely fell on that time. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah
2: yeah all the pre naps or stuff,
3: oh my God, uh, big, so what, there were themes,, yeah, yeah. but then, as you go along with the process, like there are a bunch of people I went back to two or three times, and then it gets more narrow. It's sort of like, well, this person told me this, and what do you <clears> think about that? But no, at the beginning, it's kind of just like I mean that's why the transcribers who helped me work on this, and I had a bunch of interns at various points who are just saints it's it's a big net, like you have to you go in as broad spectrum as possible, knowing that the actual product is going to have to be as narrow as possible. And it's, that's why you have breakdowns and move up state. Well, well, like what
2: made you, this is what, this is what I found fascinating about the book is because I've known your writing for a long time and you, mm-hmm. and, and I love your writing. Thank and, you. And when I read the intro, yeah, I was like, this is, oh, this is cool. Right. I do Awesome. And then I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh, this is fascinating, but Lizzie's not writing anything. Yeah. But she put this story together. So it was very, it was, yeah it as uh, weird as the wrong word, different because it was you've created a story using someone else's words, yeah, but they're not your words that I'm familiar with and and enjoy, so like the intro I loved the story about you and Nick Valencia like working together I was like, well, this is her life. this makes sense to me, yeah, and I see where she's going for, it. but then I have to i've been I've been just trying to figure like, okay, there's a story here, but oh my God, how did she put that together?
3: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of thank you. Um, for reading things that I've written in the past and present, and hopefully future. Hopefully, I haven't burned that don't, out of you. From <laughs> don't break, don't have another breakdown. Yeah, no breakdowns. I'm I'm done with that now. Um,
2: do you remember what broke it? What what broke you?
3: I do actually. What yeah. Was it? I, so I have two Basset Hounds, Joni Mitchell and Jerry Orbach, and they were, I would walk them in the West Village where I used to live, and at a certain point, it, it took like five years to write the book, basically. And the first three years were basically interviews. I mean, not in, it's not as clean as this, but essentially like three years of talking to people and transcribing and sort of like pulling, qu- like starting to do the patchwork of filing, making piles, basically. Like I would, have, I would have edits of transcripts that were just bodies of quotes that I knew would go in the book, but I didn't know where yet, like a puzzle. And that was it's sort of honing all that down. And then basically two years of attempting to assemble that. Um, and when it hit the attempting to assemble that part, where it was no longer like, I'm really trying to do fewer and fewer interviews or only interviews that are targeted to specific thing, like, I really need someone to say what Max Fish was, like, <laughs> come on, like, let's like that's because that's the spackling part where you it's not oral history is not hard, in my opinion, because you don't have good stuff, it's because you can't jump in. I mean, you can. Some people do it, but I really wanted it to be like the bell goes off, rock star character, whatever, talking, the bell ends. I have not showed up. There's no interstitial break. It's all like audio. That's how Mm -hmm. I wanted it to go, which was not easy and there was pressure to do it differently at various points. But basically, I was really committed to doing that. So when I started to get to the point where I had to start really writing with this like, clay that you'd sort of, like, collected in different piles, I could not talk to any other human beings. <laughs> hmm. So I would get up. Is that was, just
4: because there wasn't even enough available yeah, brain space Like, at that voices
3: point? in your head, like an actual thing. I was yeah. like, I have 200 rock boys talking to me all the time. And Karen oh, <laughs> thank you, Karen. You know, it was, like, very, it was very, like, dude heavy, and it was very, like, rock people heavy and it was just very and I have my actual job which yeah. is like also doing versions of that. So basically there's... You must this, have
4: seen so many torn up pairs of expensive black jeans. I
3: <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and there was... <laughs> I did. And and a lot of like... I mean, it's your job to go. You guys are doing it now. It's your job to go and like show up for someone else's story and to not... And to be able to actually do that with compassion and and gratitude that they're willing to talk to you. Um, and I, there was this one morning where I was walking the dogs. And it was like whatever time of the day, morning time in the West Village. And three different people asked me where a Magnolia Bakery was, <laughs> and I was like, "I might do it for me. I'm done.
5: <laughs> yeah." <laughs>
3: And Joni and Jerry are like the friendliest Like Joni shows her belly to everyone uh, who like walks near her, which at nine o'clock in the morning in the West Village is everyone. So she's just like, "Hi, I love you. Oh my gosh, Magnolia Bakeries that way. I mean, Joni is like this this sort of like uh, the the mascot of of our block at the time. And so I be- but I was just like, I hate you. Like I hate <laughs> all of you. I I feel. Ill will <laughs> towards no. you. I want you to be injured in some way, and that seems like a bad place. And then, so then after that, I would like go upstairs.
2: Brad, you're laughing a lot at things. Yeah, you're That's like kind of yeah, those Magnolia it. Bakery people. <laughs> I are fucking really fucking hate them. <laughs> you know
3: I'm
2: laughing too
4: because I'd seriously move upstate about fucking six days a week if that feeling yeah. went to moving upstate.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. Well, how did you? <laughs> lot? I'm curious. Like, how did you deal with like? Shit talking and that like I feel like there's so much conflict in the book, especially with like nah. the the L C D group and like <laughs> yeah. are you like I feel like people are like I yeah, I fucking hated that person or I dated this person. Like <sighs> oh, Jonathan yeah. Jonathan yeah. uh, fire Eater
2: Firing oh stuff was I mean was me. it was it oh, hard I'm so to,
3: glad I, I fucking want them to guts, guess. So I was like that
2: was so great, I didn't even listen to this band. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. It. Was it
0: hard to like
2: decide
3: <laughs>
0: what to put in and not like bum people out, or do yes. you have to not think about that so much? Yeah, or do you- so
3: I used a metric, it, okay. which is a, the like a thing that I use in all my stories, which is like, is this actually relevant to the story? Mm. So a lot of people, I've in doing interviews for this, people are like, "God, it's so gossipy," and I'm like, "All right, you know, sure. If you think, th- I mean, I don't know what that means exactly, except." <laughs> I think that means that you think that this is, like, salacious, in which case, great, you know, I guess. I mean, I or I'm sorry. I'm not sure. All right. You know, it's gossipy. I think that the implication of that is supposed to be that gossip is bad or there's some sort of, that that's a bad... I, basically, for me, it's, this is not, this is supposed to be a history. Uh, this is supposed to be a t- uh, an uh, an immersive, like, rendering of how it felt to be in this period of time in New York City and, like, on the inside of Mm. a bunch of stories that ended up being important to people because of the music that was made. So the metric was, does this piece of salacious gossip fit or whatever? Does this, like, dirty detail, does this detail that's, like, really fit into... in a substantive way, shape the story of this band that I'm telling as they relate to New York City, which is the primary character. And I was pretty disciplined about that. So there is, I mean... Believe it or not, there's like a ton of stuff that did not make the book that is that people would love to know. I'm sure
4: that's how you sell book number two. Yeah, that's right.
3: Outtakes coming soon to a theater. But no, I mean (laughs) me in the men's bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, Steven's gonna have a good line for that. (laughs) Meet me in the other bathroom that you haven't seen yet that's even grosser. (laughs) Um, I don't know. You know, so like there are and even in that case, there's a couple like hookups or whatever that's just sort of like, I just need to not put this in here because it's just not, it's on, it's, it's, it's 50 50 whether this is really important to the story of this artist. And I'm going to choose not to put it in. But like the stuff, so all the stuff that people are saying is really scandalous. And I recognize that it's scandalous and I agree, but it's like this is scan, these scandals shaped how the band worked. So, you know james intent, james murphy's working style and his combative behavior and his which is self-described sort of like <laughs> um, i mean yeah, like sort of rigorously attentive to detail to the point of pissing everyone off around him behavior and people's responses to that is like 100% relevant to the story of that label and to Mm. the story of the band or like drug use and strokes and, you know, that's gotten a lot of attention because that excerpt ran in New York Magazine about like Ryan Adams' role and all of that. Like there's a lot of other stories in all of these bands Worlds that weren't relevant to how the music got made or what happened next with X, Y, or Z artists that aren't that are on the cutting room floor. But these are the ones that like affected what happened next, so that's why they're in. Um
0: So what what was the deal with Carlos D? He was like the only person. Yeah, that he's didn't the white whale
3: of the book. Did you? God damn it!
2: No, but here's the thing.
3: Here's yeah, all right. The thing. All right, what's the thing? So
2: I interviewed Carlos D. What <clears throat> at Lollapalooza? <laughs> what the years ago, <laughs> and here's why.
3: How many years ago?
2: Uh, I don't fucking know. He dodged, dodged a bullet, and he started defending the Star Wars prequels, and like okay, every no. hackle came up on my neck, and I was like, "Listen, clown!" Like we we literally like got into it, like about the prequels. I was like did here's you fight why you're Carlos
3: dumb. Because that would be interesting. No, but I'd I see did. That.
2: But I do remember the website Carlos D gave me herpes. Yes, remember that? <laughs> I
3: sure do. That was the best yeah, that's website. not in there. That came up. I was like, at the. I don't know why I put, didn't put that. I probably should have at the end of the day. Yes, that was a thing. Like, it seemed mean. I was just like, I don't want to be mean to Carlos, even though like he's mean for not talking to me. I mean, I respect it. Look, here's the when I when I was not getting other people who said no, who are now in it. Um, like Dan Asie. <laughs> oh my god! Amazing. Dan was. A, long holdout. I'm sure. But I, you know, I worked it, and eventually he gave in. He's got um, a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> He's busy. <laughs>
4: got a whale on those pecs.
3: <laughs> Dan was at the gym for most of the time I was reporting <laughs> this, but I managed to get into I met him at his gym. No, I did not, actually.
4: The only <laughs> Dan way is great I'll interview like, it, if, if you stand on a a, a parallel stepmaster
3: yeah. right
2: next to him, it's the
3: only get in I I got in great shape interviewing Dan Ozzy for this
2: <laughs> Dan's going to come back hard. Dan's going to be so mad yes, at me. Yes, Dan,
3: sorry. We we love you. We're all big fans. That's how this has happened in the first place. Um,
0: You have a gorgeous
4: body. You
3: have a gorgeous <laughs> Benny thinks you have a gorgeous body
0: yeah, talks that was a lot me. about
3: your pecs mm-hmm. uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so
0: some people you weren't getting
3: some people I wasn't getting and it was like then I was more pissed at Carlos now that it's done and like basically everyone I wanted that I really needed came around at some point or another it's sort of funny like now it seems like I mean also this is the argument I made to many people most of whom eventually seem to agree but it's like you're in the book like you can't not if you're Carlos, you're in the book. I mean, right. there's no not being in the book. You can't you're not You're going to be
1: represented here. by other people. Yeah. <clears> so <throat> yeah. don't you
3: want to control your own story? Exactly. And and I kind of this is what I do respect about Carlos. Carlos was by far one of if not the most like balls to the wall, committed to rock stardom, pompous, like drug doing, celebrating the life unabashedly party boy on this scene. And now he's not. And he's just sort of like as committed to not doing that as he was to doing it when he was doing it. And, you know, the argument of don't you want to not let, don't you want to represent your own story in this, you know, theoretical, semi-comprehensive history of your peers and moment in time in New York? And his answer is like, nah. (laughs) I mean, there's a part of me that's like, okay
4: i respect it
3: well yeah, I do. then all right good for you and i, I do like i it. do too i mean as the writer in this i'm just still just like oh
2: yeah because he wanted it but you have to have a point where as the writer you have to let that go we we've had Lyle yes. pressler on a bunch and he's told me that michael Azrad like left him messages and he's like and i just didn't call back oh my you know what i mean and <laughs> yeah. at some point you have to go well okay
3: That's Mm -hmm. it. And Carlos was, I mean, I talked to, you know, I, I, I've known him over the years and I emailed with him about this and it's not like he didn't write me back. He was just like, no, thank you. And I was with various levels of persistent at various periods of time, and it, eventually he was just like, "I really need you to stop at me." <laughs> yeah. But in a nice way I mean, but just sort of like I, I think he said, "I need uh, w- let's consider the matter closed." or Something, <laughs> something very Carlos: like um, I'm
2: watching episode one again, because that's what kids like in sci-fi trade embargoes. <laughs>
3: oh yeah. yeah Okay.
2: So, what, are Carry you on. talking about Star Wars? again? Yeah, maybe. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah.
4: maybe. Maybe. I can't. Are you I talking just... about train embargoes in Star Wars,
3: Stephen? Yeah, <laughs> you are.
2: Again. It's not it's, the first time we'll be. Does it always wind up here? We'll we revisit
3: this later the problems, in the show. Please. I would imagine
0: um, we have a segment here called Mystery Friend. Yeah,
4: Mystery Friend.
3: That's oh,
0: yeah. You get a question from a Mystery Friend. Is
3: it Dan, Ozzy Just say it. Say it's it's it. not Dan.
4: Ozzy. <laughs> Roll it out right now.
3: <laughs> Dan
0: actually kind of Carlos deed me on this and said no. I was what? Like, wow. the question for Lizzie is like, nah. Uh, he, what? No, no, no. He cold, cold, mystery friend? Not, not oh, in a mean Oh my God, I'm so not, offended. Not in like a mean way. No. Like, I don't care. But he was like, I don't want to do it. Why? Wow.
3: Oh, uh, Dan. Oh, I want to see playing. this.
0: Lizzie Dan meeting, the next one
4: that mm-hmm. happens.
0: Goodness gracious. Um, Here's There's
4: the question. going to be a
3: reckoning. And now that you've told me that, he's in trouble. <laughs>
0: Uh, here's the question and who is Don't punch me in it. the stomach. You'll you'll hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you'll
4: hurt your hand. Ooh, goodness!
0: Ask ask Lizzie if she's kept in touch or looked up any of the schoolboys she used to teach. Oh my god! Who do you think it is? So you uh, have to answer the
4: question and then you have to
0: guess which friend of yours that? asked this question. And it wasn't me, even though it yeah, made I'm me like... remember that I spoke at that school with. Well, can you, you answer first? What Jared is this schoolboy? Remember
3: that? No. Okay. Wait, what's think- the first thing I have to say? you have to give me structure. Wait, so I'm saying Answer I'm the answering question. this question. Yeah. you're the answering
0: this question. Do you ever asked. do you have you kept in touch or looked up any of the schoolboys you used to teach?
3: It's gotta be Sarah. It's Sarah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding. ding. <laughs> no, it's yes, it is. It's Sarah. Okay, Phew. <laughs> yes, that sounds that sounds like Sarah. Okay, podcast so Podcast,
2: guest, and friends, <laughs> Lewis- Podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sarah Lutton, right. Phew.
3: Okay. Um No, but I do like I'm Facebook friends with like a couple of their moms and then so period so I used to teach okay. Yes, <laughs> unpack it <laughs> Right. So it's a safe place, I was Lizzie. really good at school. I went to like lots of school, and I liked being in school, and I thought that I was going to be like a professional person, not like a rock journalist. Like I thought I would have like a normal job. You um, just
2: totally dogged on Jonah's career.
3: Yeah, Jonah. Jonah, <laughs> on the other hand, we all knew what Jonah was destined for, which is this uh, illustrious. Yeah. Career well, I know those kids. two are part
4: of some Illuminati. Oh, they're
2: not telling the world. us. Oh, yeah, yeah well,
3: you guys, we can't get into that here. I think you know that. They're that's in league with uncool. the German <laughs>
2: journalists of the world. God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> German
3: so journalists, went, like won't talk to Americans journalists right now they're like <laughs> we're the leaders of the free world right now thanks can you just not just please um <laughs> so you're
2: learning and you're thinking you're going to be a. Teacher. yeah i
3: was the co-chair of the pre-law society in college like i thought i would be a lawyer i kept trying to take the lsat and i kept being like mm, not this weekend like whatever so i basically just didn't think that it was a thing that you could do which is understandable because it's kind of not (laughs) like it (laughs) remains not really a job um even now but so i when i graduated from college i got a job teaching second grade at an all boys school on the upper east side called the buckley school and they all wore blazers and it was very it's a very um
4: rich motherfuckers
3: it's a very (laughs) like traditional it's the upper east side. They wear blazers. Yeah. They're eight, you know? Like, Ugh. even the five-year-olds wear blazers. And it was actually awesome. Like, I'm still in touch with the other teacher that I taught with, and I did it for two years. And in between that, I interned at Spin for the first time. So, like, it, I was, it was very, I was, it was, it coincided with a period of my life where I was partying the most. So, it was really a weird time. Like, it basically had two time zones. I would leave school, and I would go, like, after dismissal, I would leave and I would go home to my apartment that I shared with Sarah Lewitton, mystery guest. Hmm. And um, I would sleep for a couple of hours and then we would go out to dinner or whatever. Like Someone would eat some food at some point, but mostly it was like we would just go to bars and then I would be out until two or three or later in the morning and I would sleep for a couple of hours and then I would get on the subway at 6.30 and go up to the Upper East Side and teach and then come down and do it again. And so that was my life. And... um in the summer I interned and it was it was awesome it was like a good entry point it was a way to Sounds cool. It was great um but the other day, one of my, it's funny she says this because maybe she knows this, in which case that's very sneaky, Sarah. Um, <laughs> the other day, one of my old students either liked something of mine on Instagram or somehow posted, somehow I saw his name and I was like, I know that name. And then I looked at his profile and he's a drummer and he has a band oh. and he's an adult, which is <laughs>
4: really yeah, how alarming. How old are these kids now?
3: so they're like
4: the Buckley school with these blazers they could be like fucking up the world by now And now,
3: oh yeah Yeah. they're like late college or out of like they're like 21 22 years old half of
4: them are living in
2: Dubai like being consultants (laughs) well this one is like a drummer in a band yeah
3: right that's why he
2: liked an Instagram he's like wait I know someone
3: I don't think so I think he he I think he left Buckley fairly soon after that because they kept in touch with some people yeah he's a Buckley drummer (laughs) exactly and now he's a drummer
4: hey (laughs) Okay. Hey, you gotta drop out of school to do it. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Listen up, kids.
3: Yeah. Listen up, kids. Yeah. Drop out
4: of many colleges, <laughs> deliver pizzas, and it might happen. It for might you. happen. But for probably you. not. But probably not. <laughs> so, Enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a touch. Okay. I saw a piece you did for Elle. Uh huh. Where you unmasked to someone like me this like female Illuminati who's like uh-huh. controlling shit. Um, okay, which is pretty cool by the way. I'm like into it. But yeah. something and I assume you're behind this comment because it was a blow quote. <laughs> okay. And uh, you said What's being, the comment? being a girl is no longer politically uh neutral. Ah. Yeah, your identity whether you like it or not is now political.
3: That is not my quote, but I let's I love the idea that it would be. I certainly agree with it. Um
4: I figured since it was a blow quote, you endorsed it. But even though you probably don't,
3: can you pull your own blow quotes? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not classy. I wouldn't do that.
4: Who's gangster enough to pull their own blow quotes? Are there people? Beyonce? Yeah.
3: (laughs) I think that's it. That's the whole list. Beyonce? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that piece was crazy. This is the story that I wrote about the wing and going to the um, women's march, which was nuts. And amazing, and I mean, basically, that's what I'm. That area of of thought is what I'm writing the most about right now. Like this book is coming out, and it's awesome. I'm so into it. I'm also really like today. There's an uh, an excerpt on l.com dot com about Carano's side of the story. That's like the next excerpt that we did, and Carano's on the cover. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate that there aren't more women in the book mm. I w- wanted there to be it's you can't like make the scene different than it was but one of the things that was really important when we first start, sat down and started promoting the book was I said I was like I want this to not I want this to not be promoted just to like dude rock sites like or rock proper I mean this is not a book for guys it's a book for I mean the introduction is my story and my relationship with New York City and that myth is universal and it was really important to me to, I mean, to the extent that you can to help present this story as like gender neutral. Like Mm. if you, if there, there, there should be a bunch of artists out there young artists who want to be like the people in this book and whether they're male or female or identify as whatever they identify, they should be able to see all of the characters that are sort of like admirable and exciting in the book as potential role models. That's how I felt. Like, I felt like Joe Strummer and Patti Smith And like Joan Didion were all (laughs) teaching me how to be me. And that only later was it sort of like, oh, wait, I can't, I guess I can't be Joe Strong. You know, only from sort of social interaction was I aware that that was like basically not allowed. Because, you know, you're a girl, so like sit down. Mm.
2: Um, There's a lot of that in the book that I found, I thought it was very even keeled. What fascinated me was that it wasn't a book about a bunch of white dudes. Which, mind you, I'm we run into you that with that. the podcast. I mean, well, like, like, Brad and I were talking about, like, the TV on the radio guys. Yeah, they're the best, aren't you know they? The they're the greatest. Yeah. And, and to this day, still one of my favorite bands.
3: They're ama- and I did not know them at all. That's There's a couple people in the book that were just, like, total, you know, sort of, I can't believe you're real gems. Like, I had an interview. For whatever reason, I just didn't know them. I didn't know the DFA guy. I didn't know the TV on the radio guys. And they're just awesome. Like, all of them that I spoke to. And... Yeah, I'm glad you think because it's hard. I mean, it is like these are white guys. These are like relatively privileged for the most part. It's hard to respect the story and also tell it correctly and also be open to trying to present it in a way that feels universal. But I just knew you have to go to what's personal to you. And I felt very... I mean, I've, I've... One of the stories that I considered putting in the introduction was about being in college when I... So I knew, as as you mentioned, but for those who would never know this, and why would you, like, I started coming to New York when I was in college in Philadelphia, and I worked in a restaurant with Nick, who was in The Strokes. And so I knew, like, kind of my entry point to some of these bands were, like, my friend Nick, who cheated off of me in wine tests at our <laughs> restaurant. Like, that was Nick. It was, like, the first sort of urban kid that I knew, who was just kind of like... Hey, I'm like, look up. This girl's kind of like, she's like a smart girl. I'm gonna like cheat off of her paper, and then we'll go like smoke cigarettes after this, and it'll be fun. it like, tells like, me
2: you've been cheated off your entire life. Well, as comes to the academics.
3: Yes, I guess so. Maybe. No, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I didn't care. That's Fair part of enough. the problem. Fair you know. Enough. Oh God. It's okay. Um, that's for a different part of this conversation when Listen, it gets Lizzie, real you're deep. You're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> really? You really are I right? sure? I mean, you're doing I good. just, I don't like, know. Let's... Like, did I get an A yet? Oh God. You um, got <laughs>
2: You always get an A here.
3: Oh. I'm oh, going off track. I'm so glad I, like, I'm like. i so glad an, I'm just going to stay. I'll just move yeah, in. Yeah, but
2: it's a 94 to 100 is an A. It's well, very A minus if oh my you have God. kids. Oh Jonah's God. not into it.
3: Heart <laughs> palpitations. Heart <laughs> palpitations. Sidebar,
2: that was my goddamn high school. just wanted to say.
3: That, mine too. 94 to 100. Yeah, yeah. Fuck 94 people. to, 90 to 94 was an A minus.
2: Oh, that was straight-up B. You were fucked.
3: Okay. All right. So now I understand you better. I didn't touch the 90s very
2: often. Legit.
3: (laughs) Then he's like, what even is this realm of, like, whatever? Goodness
4: gracious. I don't know. (laughs)
3: Um, What even is that category? Oh, my God. Amazing.
4: (laughs) It's it's funny you brought up, like, the, like, privileged kid thing. Because, like, it was one thing that I actually enjoyed about your book that opened up that world more to me. It's because people like me... It was funny listening to the gentrification stuff in this book. Yeah. Because to them, they were kind of mentioning it was happening while they were living there. And to people like me, it uh-huh. happened before they got there. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That's like The Williamsburg sure. they went to, yeah. this is not fucking Williamsburg. Even the one that they went to yeah. wasn't Williamsburg. So, What
3: Williamsburg did you remember?
4: The one that my mom talked about yeah. in 1945 yeah, with yeah, a yeah. bunch of fucking Jews and, you know, like Italians and hanging out and yeah the the concept that you would even go to brooklyn to live when you had the money to live in manhattan was insane yeah to the older people in brooklyn and stuff um yeah. so i thought it was interesting from my perspective because when the strokes came out we were like oh fucking rich kids fuck them sure you know what i mean like they don't even deserve it because they didn't have to grind they didn't have to do this so i actually enjoyed reading parts of that book where i'm like you know what a fucking dick. Like, like <laughs> that so, was my so, favorite part of the it's book. It's so too, self-righteous, I mean. <laughs> like to be like they didn't work at all. They sat in their fucking ivory tower and went straight to the top. Yeah, I enjoyed that part of the book. I appreciate. Well,
3: it. Well, good. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's come up when I've been talking about this is I think there's a big difference, and it's relevant to the cur- current cultural climate. There's a difference between privilege and like cultural. Sophistic- I mean, there's a difference between cultural sophistication and money. Mm. so those guys were privileged in that they went to private schools someone was figuring out how to get them there even if it's I don't know them well enough to know the like financial details of sure. whatever and they're one example I mean we're also talking about like Vampire Weekend they all met a cl- I mean there's a lot of different the Yaya's kids all went to art school mm-hmm. school. I mean there's there's people with of privilege undeniable privilege in this story a lot of them um but privilege and money at least back then weren't the same thing i mean i think that's changing in america which is really terrifying um but mm. there i don't know how nick got himself to private school but i know that he needed to have a job in order to have any money to do anything that he wanted to do and that he didn't you know this this it wasn't like like i went to penn and you know Ivanka Trump was there when I was at Penn and like this was not something I there were a lot of kids with like that like actually Donnie go to Wharton too? Yeah. Are you feeling don't, good and about that? You know who. Went, <laughs> I, I Vanessa not, Bayer also went to bed. I am not. <laughs> oh, <my sister. laughs> so we're evening it out. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. but It's like we've got Vanessa on yeah. this side. And then <laughs> Whitney we, Cummings. Yeah, Whitney. Yeah, uh, So we've got some folks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But basically, like we, I, there were real...
2: Ted Kaczynski There's, knows this, Harvard, <laughs> there's <sorry>. this
3: idea <laughs> that <laughs> the Strokes <laughs> guys or anyone else like that were rolling through the Lower East Side just like by. I don't know what people think they did. Maybe like... I don't know what it people think money gets you, but there nobody can buy success on that level in New York. You can't, you have to, gr- the word is grind. Like sure. you have to grind. So I don't think it's fair to say, I don't subscribe to the idea that like, that's such bullshit and those guys didn't have anything going for them and they were just like working class kids. They obviously were not working class kids. And I love the story in the book where they go to England and they're bitching about the food. It's like, there's no sushi here. You know, it's like, that's what people mean. It's, it's this sort of idea, but I see that as cultural privilege and access to New York city and access, a sense Mm -hmm. of like ownership of art of an ability to sort of, um, to, to explore and educate yourself from what the city offers you and maybe what your parent parental background offered you rather than like, money in your pocket because those guys did not have money I mean when I was rolling around with them when we were all kids like they didn't that's not what they were like and this was the story I was going to tell about the feminism piece too like there's also this thing about how those dudes were all you know there was models everywhere and it was just this like party band and hot girls everywhere when I was in college I went to a show that they played uh, it was after they broke in the UK and there was this guy that my couple my friend Nikki that I used to go to these shows with all the time was friends with, like, she knew him. He was in her sort of, like, she knew him. We kind of knew him. And he was British, and he knew about the strokes. And he was like, this was before they broke in America, that kind of six-month period when England knew about them, but America didn't really. And I knew them because it was my friend Nick Span, and I didn't really know they had blown up or anything. But this guy was like, what? You guys are going to that show? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And Nicky was like, we're not going with him. Like, I don't like him. And I was like, okay, okay not really sure what that's about. And I made her tell me what it was. And this guy would routine, called me behind my back, Nikki's fat friend. Like this is, this Strokes fan, this British Strokes fan. And Nikki, of course, hated him because he said that. And it, he, we went to the show and and she told me this and I was like, oh, I guess that guy's kind of a dick. Interesting. So we go to the show and we're hanging out and like, it was in those early years before they had, it, where they were still sort of realizing that they were starting to have some cultural power and nick comes bounding out of the backstage area and is like because he knew we were there and he's like beckons us across the floor and is like he called me elizabeth like elizabeth nikki like come on over and this guy was standing there and like saw this happen and sort of saw i really remember feeling that very specifically like this guy was a, a person of a position of sort of you know, hierarchical power within this, like, kind of elite, moneyed, pen world. Like, you know, he was a rich kid from London, and he went to, he was in Wharton, I'm sure. I mean, it was, like, that world. There was a lot of that there. Mm -hmm. And here were these supposed sort of judgy, pretentious, rich, modelizing kids, like, who were, according to him, welcoming, essentially, the outsiders in, like, from across the hallway into the VIP room they were so excited about. And... That's one thing, you know, having known those guys back then and also just the scene itself, it's not really about the strokes. Like, people, it's so easy to remember, to think now that all these people are so cool, because they are. Like, Carano is so cool, and like, Julian is cool. These people are cool. But music starts because you, or New York starts, the idea of New York, music itself starts from feeling like you don't have a place. Mm. And you want to make a connection, and you don't know how to do that. Um, And these are outsiders. Like, in whether you see that from your position or not, that's how it felt. And I always think about that moment when people are like, those guys are such dicks, you know, or those guys Mm -hmm. are such... I mean, I think about the moldy peaches. I think about myself as someone that someone like that would cast as, like, not worthy of his attention, and I think about like what it feels like for young women to be that was go find your rock friends, you know. And I wanted this book to kind of feed into that feeling a little bit as well, because <clears throat> it was definitely a resource for me. Um, sure.
0: I think it's so interesting because I had the same kind of idea as Benny. Really? Like I felt like well, just coming up in yeah. punk. I felt like it was so un- I, I didn't listen to a lot of these bands, which is I've, I think the book is so interesting. But um, I wasn't I'm invested glad, in any of the bands so much. But I thought it was, yeah. I think I was like more into like bands like nerdy guys that look like me that didn't get girls. That sang <laughs> about not getting girls, right? You know. And the I mean? strokes got lots so much... of girls. Like yeah. Let's
3: not be. Let's not feel too sorry for. I'm not saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Um, I
2: liked how you have you threw in Fisher Spooner. Oh my god! I, well, I remember seeing in L.A. and like an abandoned subway warehouse. Really. And I was. It was like a free show. Sponsored by Levi of All Weird Places. That sounds right. And I, I was like, I haven't thought about this band in years. Not a band. Not a band. But it was this like
3: Not performance
2: a band. art thing that yeah. every once in a while I'll still think about how insanely cool that was.
3: Was it cool? Was <laughs> it the was, show show, so to speak? It was good. So
2: cool. I well I thought it was cool. And I have a very <laughs> specific Okay degree in experimental theater like you know like like they and did And you this. talk about fucking Star Wars a lot. I'm not gonna, I do. I'm a <laughs> dork. Um, <laughs> Force Awakens is kitchen I'm sorry anyway. Um, oh
3: my god. Uh,
2: <coughs> so what the jet they lost after Jedi and now it's still shit. Oh my god. So, this uh, is
3: so funny. But like I
2: remember seeing the show and the book brought that back for me because what I remember was, and I can't remember if it was um, Fisher or Spooner, but one of them was pretending to be the stage manager and the other one was pretending to be the rock star. (laughs) And purposely, I remember it, the music skipped, they had to start over which I learned from the book was intentional, which makes me like them more. <laughs> and two, they had hired all these dancers. So whoever was the stage manager wearing a cat's sweatshirt, <laughs> Broadway the Cats, periodically while the dancers were dancing, he would jump into the routine at exactly the right time and <laughs> dance with them. <laughs> and it was either just me or the whole crowd going, the f- this is amazing. Yeah. This is, uh, and then they sold jeans afterwards.
3: Yeah, totally. Right. And I we're talking about like that 2000 years. or yeah. something. Yes. So they're, th- that's a great example. I mean, I love those guys. They're so smart and they're so cult, they're so like pop culturally literate yeah. that you're basically like, like when I was interviewing them, I was like, mm, maybe you should write this. Like, uh. I don't know <laughs> if I, I think you've got it. Like the whole story. But they were really relevant because it's so early. Like, mm-hmm. This whole idea that everything is... Because everything is an Im, is image conscious, it's that the, even the idea of being a band in, is in and of itself sort of high concept if everyone's being watched all the time. Like, you can't have... Which is a creepy thing, but back then seemed sort of avant-garde to even present and now seems like absolutely normal and the standard that any band is forming mm-hmm. under. They really saw that early. Like, there's this line in the book where Casey... He's talking about how you know they were people thought they were disgusting for whatever for presenting themselves as 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 for in indicating that image is as important as anything else that they're doing like what it looks like has to match very much. The, what it sounds like or whatever and now it's like we live in a Kardashian world where this is 100% what everyone's doing all the time but the real reason those guys are so relevant at least to my story is I mean I think they're fascinating but is because of the effect they had on DFA because they hmm. p- they pissed James off like James is just like wait a second they got how much money yeah. to do what <laughs>
5: yes.
3: and it was sort of that that sense of I mean they deserve their own book like they've done i mean they've done their own stuff they're so interesting but in terms of like why they belong to the story about new york music during that period of time it's they belong and they belong because of how they animated other people around them Mm. to kind of react against or in response to what they were doing and sort of put the pedal to the metal like they got so much money Hmm. they made I, so much money
2: i felt the same way about like referencing again david holmes who i hadn't thought about oh in years god. and i paid money to hear him dj one time and again for me it was entertaining i don't think other people were entertained because 15 bucks to go hear him play at the fucking oh god yeah where it's on Koanga. it was a shitty little bar um it's one of the bars they reference in swingers on one of the answer <laughs> machines did i remember dresden th- uh, no, no, they wouldn't play there. But I, used to, I used to live near no. there. But um, uh, wasn't Sorry, like good, wasn't movie. Good Luck Bar, yeah. <laughs> Three Kings? No, what the fuck was it called? Three Clubs.
0: It's three three clubs. clubs. That's where yeah. I went on yeah. my twenty first birthday. There it is. Uh,
3: see, wow. was David Holmes back. DJ? I don't think
2: so. You wouldn't
3: know though, would you? I really? probably wouldn't know. Yeah. Here is what David She'll
2: Holmes know. did. He dj nothing but public enemy, which <laughs> all it did was make me laugh myself sick.
3: That sounds like the whole him.
2: evening. And all these dumb rave kids I was hanging out with were so angry. He wasn't doing anything off like Lex. It was it was let's get killed. It was, it was right before the yeah, bow, right. bow Down record. Okay. Like Key Ocean's Eleven, David yeah. Holmes, and all he did was spin Public Enemy, and I did was cackle the whole time. <laughs> it was
3: so what was? Awesome. Were people just pissed? People were just so mad. That's awesome. So he mad. likes to so piss people. Off that guy. I just, love these people. They're so they're such great rock characters. The yeah. DFA people were so, and all those Brits. I mean, they just wanted to come to they like tim goldsworthy james like phil mossman these people they were like they're proper english like rock recontours. like they are those characters well not english in certain cases david would kill me um but like they're there there's that sense of sort of their love in the uk the the balance between like repression and then mania like they're just I I I used to I am with a British friend of mine who's an A&R and he's one of the dirtiest people I know and he would get all like dirt, just saying absurd shit and then I would just go silent for a second and it would take like mm, 45 seconds and it's like oh my god I'm so sorry I'm so yeah. sorry I, did, <laughs> I didn't mean it I, oh, oh you know please forgive me forever and that balance of the culture where it's sort of just they are the most extreme people and the most sort of like polite and decorous and whatever and I think those guys' sense of New York f- shaped... I mean, it invented DFA. Like, James then ran with it. And But he says, he's like those guys coming here, those guys, they wanted, they wanted to live where a public enemy had lived. They wanted, they wanted to, awesome. they wanted to, my, one of my favorite quotes is when Tim Goldsworthy is talking about how they land and they are jet lagged on their first morning in New York city. And they're ready to be here where like, you know, they want to see like silver apple, silver apples, like liquid liquid, like public enemy. They want to see the streets of New York and they're hoping that someone will pull a gun on them, like on their first walkout <laughs> and they're in the West village <laughs> and it's the- 90s so like still but like they're it's no and they're like oh my god everyone is so polite we're like can we get a cup of coffee and people are like well what kind of coffee would you like and down the block there's this and down the block, and they're like absolutely not we're they're gonna expecting have to the like,
4: warriors
3: they were expecting the warriors yeah and and that's like i think that there's something about that cultural exchange where it's like their view of your their of new york city which isn't theirs makes you want to live up to Like it certainly mm. made the, the Americans at the right. that meeting want to kind of like get on board with creating something that wild and decadent and and uh, dangerous feeling, mm. which was certainly not there.
2: Um, how many of these people did you have to, that had you not met and how many people were, did you, you know, had gone to shows and seen and were friends and acquaintances? Yeah.
3: the uh, Maybe half and half. Okay. Yeah, like Strokes, yeah, yeah Yeahs, Interpol, knew them all a little bit. Um, DFA, TV on the radio, Vampire Week, all the Brooklyn bands, like, didn't know them at all. What um, about,
0: I mean, to me, you know, talking about the Strokes so much, I mean, they kind of come off in a lot of ways as the underdogs in this book. I mean, sort of their relationship with Kings of Leon and how oh gosh, they got yeah. so big and then this sort of idea that... Uh, Room on Fire came out and the label wasn't really behind it, even though it was such a great record. Totally. I mean, it's interesting because I kind of, I I guess, like you've they're so associated with that scene, you view them as like the biggest thing, but I guess Mm. on a commercial level, they really weren't.
3: Yeah, Mm. it's weird because, uh, you know, when the excerpt ran in New York, too, it was like their first out of the gate once again, and people there was. There, no, you know, there was sort of like a lot of, I don't know, the British magazines were cannibalizing those quotes and and launching their own media sort of bits in the UK and beyond. And it was sort of like, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is happening again. Like the book is not actually just about like the strokes or about this period of time, but they, once again, like I didn't tell New York what to pick. That's what they picked. And once again, it's like for whatever reason, this band is just kind of... First. like they're just kind of the lightning rod for this world and and there that comes with a lot of pluses and it comes with some minuses and i think you know the thing that a lot of bands that were directly influenced by that band whether you're talking about creative influence they'll just say like this modern agp changed how i wrote my songs like brandon flower says that or kings of leon are just like uh yeah we heard that and we were like okay we have our plan now. Like here's mm-hmm. here's it's go time, um, but also commercially. I mean, they it really is hard to remember this. It seems crazy, but there were not supposed to be rock bands yeah. around. There were just not. I mean the 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 scene where I think it's David Gottlieb talks about who's a, an industry guide RCA at the time talks about going to see the Strokes for the first time mm-hmm. and saying, you know, anyone who signs this band is stupid. And it's like, well, why? It's because the paradigm that we're we have basically invested in for the next blah 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 quarters, which is how we all know record mm. business you know record labels actually operate, this is going to destroy that like this is if we help make this successful
4: Are you going ruin it It
3: ruins our bottom line right now. this isn't good for business weirdly because it's not what we planned on um and I think it's important to remember. I'm glad that it comes off that way the way you're saying because I think the Strokes feel like this huge force and they were so galvanizing and they're the but they they are kind of underground in that sense they have not their sales are not on par with a lot of the artists that they've influenced I mean they can tour and I don't know it's not like I'm on the inside of their economic reality I'm sure they're doing fine and I have no idea what they actually make but like the Kings of Leon are fucking giant rock stars. And their giant rock stars or the killers are giant rock stars on a level that the Strokes didn't reach. Um, and there are a lot of reasons w- why or haven't reached yet, however you want to phrase it. But I don't know why. I just know that that's true. And I think that it's interesting. And one of the things that I think is interesting about it is just when you think about like underground versus mainstream, one of the things that came up when I was reporting this and trying to kind of parse that question was intention. Like mm-hmm. when Caleb and Nathan from Kings of Leon sat down to write songs even before they knew any of this would be possible before the Strokes. It was like they wanted you can, they had that like mainstream intention. It was like, we want to be fucking huge. Like, how do we get there? Um, Even if it was like they were still in Nashville and there's no way that's going to happen. It was, that was the sort of sense of yourself and the hunger and the idea of it. Brandon Flowers too. Julian, I I mean, people will probably give me shit for saying this, and I don't know him. I'm not in his head, but like Nick says it in the book too, and you know they wanted to be guided by voices.
2: Yeah, they Mm -hmm. fucking did. That's where I first saw the Strokes.
3: They did, you know, watching
2: Guided by Voices. I (laughs) saw the Strokes, and someone's like, and and uh, Pollard yells, and the Strokes are here. Yeah, and was like. Yeah. And I remember then they made that video. Yes. The Family Feud video and yes. they pull in Guided by Voices to yes. do it. They played Fuse a thousand years ago Yeah, and it was like a a, a commercial edit and they start playing a salty salute <laughs> and I remember just singing going and I'm singing along and fucking Fab looks over and goes points at me and I was like yeah dude Guided by Voices of course. He's like you're one of us. Yeah. Someone who's who's going to make a thousand records and write four good songs do you think
4: that like that was the goal that maybe at some point in their <laughs> career like that idea that there that was not their intention is did they do anything along the way in your in, mm-hmm. in your estimation that shot themselves in the foot because there
3: wasn't right.
2: their intention
3: sure so she would
2: yeah. rather they be like pavement and now we're going <gasps> to argue again
3: i would i mean god pavement are just my favorite band ever um yeah, all right. I, I can saying. feel your. I, I can feel the wall between us now. Um,
4: <laughs> it's happened. Before. I mean, it makes perfect it sense. There's a palpable <laughs> tension <laughs> between
3: palpable Lizzie trick. and Steven. See, there's dog people and cat people. That's right. And I'm a dog person. And there's
2: Bob people and Steve people. There's two people. So, do you think they
3: made like
4: any <laughs> decisions along the way that like?
3: I think when you're 22, I mean, you're, you know, you know more about this, you Benny, than I would. But I would say, having talked to them, there's a, there's a, Fab says this really well, like at a certain point. I mean, obviously it's retrospective when he's saying this, but he's like, oh, you know, almost like raising his hand. And another thing, we were children, you know, quick note, we were children. I mean, so in 2001, those guys were like, Nick would have been like 20 21 years old, you know? Um, And the other, he's young, maybe the young, I mean, Julian's maybe a year or two older. I mean, they're all like, that's the age. So like, there's this idea that gets thrown around that this sort of, the age in which you become famous is the age at which you're arrested. (laughs) You know, like that's it. So if you get to be 28 and you become, that's your biggest success and then that's what you have to live up to, then you're 28. Um, That's sort of your cultural age. Uh, Um, If you're 20 you're 20 and i'm not saying i don't think that's exact i think those guys are all like have are adult humans now and we're not adult humans then sure. but i think this idea that in other words to answer your question would require a sense of ownership of like what a mistake is like that you're sitting there going well, you know, I, you know what I'm thinking right here is like there's three paths and should we work with Gordon Raphael on the third record because it's been so successful on the first two or should we, I mean, I think they felt or should we not because, uh you know, it's important to evolve and like we tried to evolve and it didn't work last time. And now people are giving us shit. And like, we don't know that in five years people are going to be saying our first two records are classic because right now they're saying our second record isn't enough of a departure from the first. I mean, what you just, and you're 25 right, or 24 years old when all that's going on. And you've basically been on the road drunk for four years. Um, and again, it's like, it's so easy when you're in this conversation, it'd be like, woe is me! Like, oh, I'm so sorry, you became a famous rock star, and then you had to deal with what rock stars have to deal with, which is this. And it's like, it's not, I'm not saying I feel sorry for any of these people. I don't feel sorry. It's not just The Strokes, either. It's Interpol, it's... All these bands had to deal with relatively unexpected, relatively overnight success with, you know, substances flowing and, like, not a lot of experience on their side. So, and some did handle it better than others, but... I mean, yeah, I think it's easy to backseat drive and say it, the Strokes' third record was a, a turning point, like their sound started to change or whatever that means. But I also can imagine myself sitting here having this conversation and saying, you know, what really went wrong is the Strokes never tried to change their sound. And mm-hmm. now they're just, you know, they just kind of, it's always going to be compared to Is This It? And it's never they, they never really tried to evolve and you have to evolve. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Um, who knows? You just, you
2: just define the the exact uh, problem and solution with rock journalism.
3: What, that you can always take an angle that's correct?
2: Yeah, that you're going to yes. be like, well, they didn't go this way because they could have done that. Well, yeah, and A&R have, but... guys, which is the yes, same thing. Like it's... they'll, yeah.
4: you'll, you could put 50 A&R guys in this room and they'll tell you exactly what went wrong, apparently. Now. Yes. Now, now they'll tell you exactly they know, what happened.
3: Right. Yeah. I think it's like any, this is now we're really getting, this is like going to be an on being episode uh, or something. Um, But it's like you, they, bands stop like any relationship outside influences. You stop listening to each other. You stop actually finding the time to hear the music that you're making and figure out if you're enjoying making it. And that is bad. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Like, and every band in this story has a moment like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah um tv on the radio I've, uh, i remember they're uh, different they're yeah, that's very, a whole different that's game. a whole different thing because i mean <coughs> we had um who's the animator we had on jonah a guy who actually worked with with uh toonday yeah he they worked together they were i can't remember but i remember mm-hmm. like hearing a story from him brad and i know their manager and mm-hmm. and like they don't they'll they'll like they hate touring oh like, yeah they'll talk about it you know what i mean hate touring which is kind of be It's like that's just got to be hard to be in a band to tour. They're not a
3: normal band, those guys. They're and that's part of why they've lasted, which is maybe your point.
2: I guess, yeah. It's it's, because that's it. Because there's, they seem to not have gotten locked in anything. And I was so thrilled to see them in your book because. They seem to be an anomaly.
3: They're totally very, very
2: sure of themselves at like a young age, and I feel like well, the, they
3: were older right. too. Yeah, yeah. right. Oh, okay. That might, yeah. yeah okay. I feel That's like that. That's the thing. That's that the thing. Might yeah, like, be but it.
1: it's really interesting that you were saying. It seems so obvious now that like kings of Leon and um, uh, killers 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 were writing to for arenas, and it makes it. It's obvious, yes, exactly. right? In yeah. retrospect, it's totally obvious. But like, you got to realize, like, in the, the strokes and. Strokes and, uh, and TV on the radio, they definitely all come out of the same little playground where that wasn't a possibility. Yes, you got to exactly. realize there was two decades of no, nobody came out of New York and, and got there. There was no scene. There
3: and to say signed. you want to be guided True. by voices was already kind of brazen. I mean, yeah. you know, not not only because guided by voices are fucking awesome, but because to play guitar <laughs> rock and roll was like... <laughs> Oh,
1: yeah, exactly. Oh,
3: you got, I mean, it's, it's just impossible. I mean, like Mark Ronson talks about this in the book too, which I love about like the idea that you would DJ a rock song next to a (laughs) hip hop song in 2001 was like, what are you doing? Like this was not, I mean, we live in this culture that has completely shifted in terms of sort of multi-genre merging O- essentially over a 10-year period, which is part of why I wanted to write this book, because these bands' stories sync up with these huge tectonic changes in all these other areas of our right. culture. Um, and following them reveals that. But that was crazy. So, like, you know, the idea that... that I mean, and and the idea that you would be... Jack White is a great... Th- this is to answer your thing about why TV on the radio. What What sort of... What is it that sheltered certain people from some of these... Uh, some of these problems and not others. Part of it is youth and part of it is just chance. Like th- like I said, the Strokes were first. They just were first and that means you're first. That means you're going first. All the bad stuff is coming, all the good stuff is coming, the highs, the lows, nobody and everyone behind you is going, this is possible because you did it. So like I know that I can play Saturday Night Live whereas like a band in New York City wouldn't have thought they could do that before the Strokes right. did it. But it's also this age thing. Like Jack White, Jack White, James Murphy, the the, you know, Dave Siddick, Toonday, the guys from TV on the radio, they're all like to varying degrees, like five years older, even. I mean, in, in James Murphy's case, like ten years older. James Murphy, importantly, really importantly, was a failed indie rock musician when DFA started. Mm. He had been touring in the sort of like classic American underground East Coast indie scene, wearing a wallet chain, which is one of the details that I love, with his <laughs> apparently very long and fabulous hair, which, like, a lot of people seem to want to talk about, which amused me. They're like, he had this hair. You're like, okay. Um, what was... awesome. What was
4: so special about this main?
3: I don't... I wish I'd seen it. It's legendary, you know? It's not. I don't know. It was quite flowing and made an impression out of lots of indie rock boys in the 90s. I don't know. But, you know, he didn't think... And Jack had this, too. He thought it was over. And Dave talks about this, too. Siddiq, like, had been playing in bands in Baltimore and been in that world and then was like okay, that's over. I guess his brother lived in New York. Like, he basically, it's like all those guys had a sense of the life I was trying for in one way or another and also France Ferdinand, Alex Capranos talks about yep. this. Like, the thing I was trying to do with music, it's not as neat with Jack because he was always like striving. But basically, I do not expect to get any attention for my music ever. Right. And I've tried and I'm, old now in rock standards like i'm through most of my 20s and like it's over for me so i might as well do whatever i want but they also came with this sort of backlog of the kind of the weathering that that experience gives sure. you um against what's coming to you that's the best way like if i could recommend a way to be a famous rock star like first fail for 10 yeah, years that's, yeah that's and
2: exactly it that's
4: what um, that we're like, fail first you know where if you like you know Walk into a bar, and you don't care what the opposite sex is going to say, yeah. one way or the other. You're just into asking the question. Like you're, you might, you're probably going to get them. <laughs>
3: still- you know, <laughs> yeah.
4: like and it. Benny does-
3: is speaking from personal experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
4: it does. It works the same way in music. It's an interesting yeah. thing I hear about all the time with people. You know, I'll talk to some of my friends who are my age. Who are like, oh yeah, we're doing this. We're demoing. We're sending it out to this and this. I'm like, dude, fucking stop.
3: Stop. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Like, enjoy your fucking life. Yes. And play music for the reason you want to play music, and yes. you're going to write fucking better music. Yeah. Like, stop chasing the serpent. Yeah. Because the serpent's a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, if, and you might, like, catch his head every once in a while, but... Probably not. Yeah. And you got to go to sleep at night. You know? Like, Can we please get about play the
2: more you know music after that? <laughs> oh my God. Right I the podcast. L- Lizzie.
3: A PSA from Benny. Yeah.
2: How is the your yoga is practice serpent is an asshole. Going? Did my I curse too
3: much? <laughs> well, Sorry. now that this serpent talk has come in, I feel like I have not been doing that much yoga.
0: I did my first ever Bikram yoga class with you and I almost died.
3: Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Jonah was does an
0: incredible slithery serpent. Lizzie is a, a yoga you're, teacher. You're, you're, you're I teacher. teacher. She's a teacher. Really? Yes. Yeah. She's That's a real? yogi motherfucker. It's you know? real. I, I don't told teach. Your, I told your book publicist. I was
3: like, yeah, I met, I met Lizzie through yoga. And she's like, oh, really? Was she like, I'm sorry, what? Because like, <laughs> I basically don't tell anyone that. I don't know why. I think it's because I like don't want to have to teach yoga ever. Yeah. And so, I, not that I, of course, that's like... Were
0: you certified as a Bikram teacher? No, no. No, no, no. Okay. No,
3: I'm certified. I did my training at, like, Laughing Lotus. Do you yes, yeah, I yeah. do know Laughing Lotus. It's awesome. I had the best time. It was great. But I didn't... Yeah, I don't. I don't teach yoga, so I always feel. I mean, I am not a yoga teacher. I'm like someone. I, I'm technically allowed. To, like I will well, not be arrested. How many, arrested hour, how many two, hours is your training? Two hundred hours, and then I did an, another advanced training. It's a that. lot
0: of hours. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. If you
4: had to do a rate- yoga
3: pose right now, and I'll correct you.
4: <laughs> if you had to rate <laughs> Jonas my bird of paradise four, is tight. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. I
3: have not seen Jonah practice oh, yoga. It's been a Wait, long time. Can you just it's bust something since, out and let yeah. Lizzie oh, judge yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. Come on, Jonah. Okay, you know, Benny, there's no judgment in yoga. That's part of it. See? What? There's no wrong. I <laughs> swear to God, I'm in those what? classes what? and the
4: whole time I'm like, that lady behind me is like, what is this sweaty fat fuck doing? <laughs> oh my god. Get him out of this class. <laughs>
3: See, is that Benny, me doing that it says to myself? yes, that says so much about you and how you view yourself. This is yoga is the practice that we apply to diagnose our own mental So, Listen, Downward
4: Dog is no joke for a guy my size. This shit's hard. It is hard. It's
3: totally hard. I see these
4: these women in there judging me. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly judging me. I'm like, oh... Benny said a 210 pounds off of the just hair, said, you know. a friend
3: of mine just said recently to me that it's just like you know when you walk into a bar and there's and you you want attention from the opposite sex but the less that you need that mm. the more it'll just come to you. Yoga <laughs> is the same way. Mm. Nobody's really watching. I mean like just do your thing and then it'll all I mean yeah. See but I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, that's your you problem. You want to have a mirror. <laughs> that's your problem watching. right there. No mirrors. Don't go to a mirror yoga studio. No. <sighs> Just you know, be right. present. That's so why they call
2: yeah. it a practice.
3: I do. Well, my, that's why my I gave up on the classes. Is still pretty yeah. sharp. Yeah, yeah. Gave up. yeah. No, don't give up. Wait. A no, I,
4: I gave up on the classes. Now okay. I do this like super old man yoga. Yeah, that's the this way to go. Twenty minute session I found on Perfect. YouTube. That's like I bar- I barely move. Sounds that, fantastic. But it really centers me. I Send like me that <laughs> link.
2: Send me that link immediately.
4: <laughs> I like um, yoga with no exercise. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm into. Okay, you know.
3: Well, that's also yoga, though. Jonah will tell you. But yoga
4: exercise, it gets too hard for me to think. That's when I'm like, Jesus Christ, this hurts, I'm not thinking. thinking anymore.
3: You're not supposed to be thinking.
4: Yeah, but I can't even think about breathing at that point because I'm just like.
3: <gasps> <laughs> See, this is a very this is a test conversation for me because this really does make me want to teach you yoga. It does. Yeah,
2: you should. You should get. Uh, maybe, it. Maybe, maybe. See, maybe the, this is your audience—people like us who are like, yeah, yeah we're missing something, Lizzie. Let me. You can clearly. You, connect I want to be. We want to be taught men, by not so, the guy I'm trying so to bang the girls in the yeah, front row. Yeah, front disgusting room. men. Are Lizzie, you specialty. finish the <laughs> the book's
0: done. Do your victory lap, and then you get back into your yoga career.
3: Okay. This is okay. this
0: is going to be super lucrative. <laughs> Trust me.
3: Yeah, here are my plans for making money: writing books and teaching yoga. I think there's a problem here.
5: <laughs> so I Brooklyn, I take should, it from I another. Know, and yeah. I do
3: not like Brooklyn. I'm anti-Brooklyn, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. No. No. I do, I go there a lot, but I like try not to acknowledge it.
4: So book reviews are really pretentious.
3: Yeah, I haven't oh seen. Are goodness. there? Bo- I guess there are some out. I don't know. I've how never many looked are
4: there. into them too much. Yeah, and then I'm it's doing research for way. this interview. Yeah. By the way, they're mostly glowing reviews. Oh, good. But okay. I feel are there like, some
3: douchey ones? Let's hear it.
4: No, the thing I found douchey about them is, I would say there's like a five to ten word cap <laughs> per review of words that are totally unnecessary, and they're just using. Because they know how to use those words.
3: So it's like SAT words that they've decided to be like, yo, I'm a book reviewer. Like, how about this word you have to look up?
2: The language was mellifluous. Uh, I found it disconcerting upon the denouement.
3: Okay, it's you've right. been ghostwriting. That's about right. Right. <laughs> yes, no. right. I now know. No. They're all you? by Steven, you guys. Is probably, I feel true. like
0: there's a mentality, too. Like, I feel like I a lot of people. safety pins. Don't like.
3: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I feel like that's also why a lot of people don't like that show, Girls. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, attitude of, like, well, yeah, I could have actually done a better job of this. And it's like, dude, you didn't do anything, though.
3: I love that. Though. One of the funniest questions, like, I tried to, you know, before I was going to start doing press for this, it was like, what's that going to be like? Like, I always ask all the questions. Like, what's that going to be like? And one of the questions that came up that I did not anticipate that I find hilarious is literally people have been asking me, a lot of them. Here's what I'll get. I have interviewed a lot of these bands. They're not very friendly. How did you get them to say all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't know how to respond to that without saying that you suck at your job. Like, I don't know what to tell you. to be a tool. Yeah, like, oh, uh, that's your
2: gift sorry get
3: no, no wait, I know, I know no, exactly please, how I feel. what else do you have what I else know, can you, I say because it's that's it's give me some more having, responses haven't to...
2: been on that side and, and Jonah who's an exceptional interviewer exceptional. And, and people adore him like he's not disliked he'll Come say I... that's not true it but is true. Um, even people I, I know like who, him a lot. who have been <laughs> angry at any. Jonah yeah. I've seen will talk to him many and, people and you can get them to open up <laughs> I've seen it you know what I mean but it's it's I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's like, weird. How did you get them to, to say that? And you went, well, I, I listened, and then I followed up with something that I hadn't planned because yes, what exactly. they said was more interesting than what I thought they were going to say because I'm not them and I can't predict the future. I feel totally. Like, High Liz- five. Lindsay, this <laughs> is something I can give you a little advice on. All right. I'm I've ready. been interviewed a lot. Have you? I have.
4: And by yeah, me
3: even some, by me little. too yeah but a
4: little you guys are actually interesting fuck I've interviewed you is, too Jesus you know you guys weird. are the good ones where you feel like you're in a conversation yeah which is the trick but there are two ways to go about horrible questions
3: okay yeah please
4: one Derek Jeter it okay which means say a bunch of shit without saying anything yeah yeah that's the one i just I've give gone the with. you know I go out there I give a hundred ten percent I just <laughs> do it for my team I do it for the he was. <laughs> He said so much team. shit. This is from Bull
3: Durham. Do you know? The I think C- I just e- went
4: to Ricky Bobby, actually. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Um, <laughs> like, There's that way. We're not going to call
2: you nuke. You say a yeah, lot right? without
4: saying anything. Yes. Or the way I like, which is sort of the Jack White kind of way or something, make some shit up. Just lie. And it's more fun. Okay. Because, And you got to border on where reality meets fantasy. Okay. So they're not quite sure <laughs> and the reader's not quite sure.
3: Okay, and, I like this. Like,
4: so when they're like, my how publicist did
3: you, is gonna love how this, did you yeah. get <laughs> the strokes
4: to open up? Yeah. You know, oh, I brought... Uh, you know, a uh, hyperventilation chamber, and I gave them some drugs and I put them in there, and then I did this, and then all of a sudden they just woke up it's and like it was really syrup. easy to talk to. Yeah. inari right. sushi, oh, not like unagi, it. It's got Yeah, a that's tofu. right. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Totally. Specific.
2: Oh my God. It's okay, this is good.
4: Or just like, how did you Play get this it. band? Fresh fish. <laughs> 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 if you say that and nothing else.
3: <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> What
4: a, I like Just
3: it. without missing a beat. Yeah. Boom.
0: Boom. And okay. if they say what yeah.
2: kind, you go sable.
0: What the Wait. Fuck yeah, you, know. Know. you just roll with Were it. Were those both, was there another way it could go? Yeah, you either Derek Jeter it or you fresh fish it. Yeah. That's it. There's not That's like it. a Two third. Ways. Or
4: you, or you get like angry actually trying nah. to answer it, which I, I don't like to do. That's a non
3: option, especially We're if you're instruct- getting
4: interviewed by Germans or something. Like yeah, you got to, you got to grow a sense of humor fast <laughs> if you don't want to like be miserable at the end of that. You know.
3: Well, you also just want to. You want them to get to the next question. So, like, yeah. I don't want to pick a. Fu- I mean, no. No. It's not not in our best interest. So there is a third option, but we're deleting it. Oh, okay. yeah. The third yeah. option is no, no fun. No fun. No fun. Yeah. Okay, fresh but, fish. But you, I'm going with fresh fish. <laughs> yeah.
2: You, like you, have some, you have some, you have, you know, uh, strategies. You know what you're doing.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's what you... Do. I don't, like... I don't... Do I know what I'm doing when it comes to being interviewed? I don't know.
2: Disarmingly charming.
3: <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I just try to charm every I... You want, it's, interviewing is exactly what you said. I mean, I always think the actual answer to that question is exactly what you said. Like, how do you get people to say stuff? You prepare and then forget everything you prepared and show up and have a conversation with someone and right. see where they take you. And trust that you don't know anything anywhere near as much as of what you want to hear from this person as they do. Mm. And if you just put your attention on them, you will see things that you wouldn't have known to see, you couldn't have possibly imagined, and then that will be your story. Um,
4: see, so that's a hell of a tip right off the bat. Yeah, man. Is, is that, but that's
3: what you just said.
4: Yeah, is that idea that you actually want to yeah. hear what they it say. It makes all
3: the difference in the world. Because, like, yeah, I mean, I've had the experience so far of that thing that is the worst, where you're like being asked questions and you can tell that they are literally reading a list and they're waiting for you to stop talking. Right. And you're like, oh, you know that I'm actually going to give you the material. Let me help you make your story more. Right, right. Nope. And they're like, and this is how you, it sounds. Okay. And so how did you know when you were going <laughs> to write the book? And you're like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, it's not. It's
2: sometimes they're editing in their head. You know, they're thinking, "I got to put this together this way," which is not the sure, best way to do it.
3: That also happens, but n- don't do that.
2: Here is my thing: is that you, when when writing stuff, when when whenever I would talk to anybody, I would say off the bat, "I don't care who you're fucking or where you were last night. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, care. Yeah. Let's talk about your band or whatever." With this book, yeah, there's more than just the yeah. music. There's a lot. So, how do you? How do you siphon that down and sift out? Because, you know, it always it always yeah. amazes me when people are like, um, it's like, um, you know, Carly Simon is like, who's you're so vain about? I don't care. It's, I like the song. Good song. You know, but then at some point, you know, then that becomes part of the myth that becomes stronger than the song. Who's Mr. Wendell? Who's Mr. <laughs> Wendell, which we were talking <laughs> about before you showed up. Okay. Yeah. A nice piece of exposition of <laughs> yeah. a conversation. Apparently, homeless
4: yeah. people are not materialistic. <laughs> Okay. If you look at the Mr. Wendell Wikipedia okay. We looked yeah. that up.
3: Okay. You guys were busy before <laughs> I got here. I'm glad you were on top of things. Thanks,
4: Thurston. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, sorry, Joe. No, don't dude. I don't care. <laughs> oh god Sorry, Steven. I no, didn't mean no, to, no, to no, no, I'm just saying, like how do you no, yeah, yeah. how do you, how do you weed how do you decide what's personal that's goes in the story related to yeah. New York music. I
3: mean, I think that in this case, well, first I did a potential, I mean, it is a tricky thing, I guess, that I did. But basically, unlike in regular journalism where, like, I'm pretty strict about when when representatives or managers or publicists will be like, okay, but you just can't ask them about this. I'm like, then no. I mean, no matter yeah. what it is, be- not because it's like... Because they're always trying to protect against something that probably isn't even that interesting because they mm-hmm. will give you a shitty quote about it anyway because they're uncomfortable. Like no, But I don't like this idea that you're going in with parameters. I just think it's dangerous and makes for a bad conversation. So totally. it's not like you don't—I've never done that. But in general, if someone says, I can't talk about X, Y, and Z, but I will inter- be interviewed by you— I'm like, then we shouldn't do this interview because well, wh- you're not ready. So, what,
0: what was it like for you doing that Connor Oberst piece? Because that oh must have God. been, oh I God. can imagine that was like, there's like such a huge elephant in the room, and you were like the only person really well, to profile that, him.
3: But that was greenlit in advance. I mean, okay. I did not sit down with him with any parameters on what I could talk about.
0: Got it. I was purpose. curious about that.
3: Um, yeah. I mean, that Connor is, God, he's so amazing. I mean, he's such a. I was so happy to have him in this book and he's he's like he's certainly one of the good ones to put it mildly. But yeah, that piece was really intense for obvious reasons and just because of what he'd been through and how excruciating it was and how it was important to me as somebody who's especially as somebody who's writing more and more about feminism and and sort of uh, issues of uh social equality from the feminist perspective in art in general to go and tell that story, too. Because, not to, but, like, I considered what happened to him to be, like, a huge setback for women's rights, basically. Um, So that was really key. I really wanted to tell that story. But we had talked a lot about when it was going to be a good time to do that. And basically, like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that piece if there had been rules about what we could talk about.
2: Well, that was like the the Stoia story. Oh my God! That was I mean, talk about the
3: <laughs> I'm pro, like having pro women feminist.
0: Story. I keep like being like, oh, I like that story. I was like, oh yeah, Lizzie wrote that. Lizzie wrote that. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, that. You guys. Yeah, dude.
3: Thank you. That no, Stoia story was that, also that really story intense. Was,
2: that was really intense. That was intense to read. That was like.
3: That was intense to. Oh my God. I can't
2: imagine going through that. Like, you're.
3: She's amazing, too. These people are so amazing. It's just. You're so gratified that anyone is willing to go there with these incredibly personal, like, harrowing experiences. And I guess that's what I mean. Like, either I don't. I can't do this job very well if there's sort of parameters in advance, not because. It's it it affects all these other things you don't even realize it's affecting. Like it it makes your conversation stilted. It makes everything else feel like, well, wait, is that line going to lead me to this thing that's out there? So basically, this what I, where I was going with this? Not that I'm not happy to talk about Stoya because I am, because she's amazing. But is that with the book I told people basically i mean i always honor off the record like always any basically unless you call me six days after the interview and are like actually can you not print any of that like in general like i it's like all right you know two hours later you're uncomfortable with this whatever off the record is always game with me Um, In this book, I told people that they could talk about whatever they wanted. So So people who wanted to participate and go all out and tell me everything that they did and use it as a kind of airing out healing therapy session, which there are plenty of people who did that in the book, as you can read, great. People who wanted to come in for 20 minutes and say three things about band practice one day that their other band members had brought up, great. There, I just sort of cast in a way that I wouldn't for a piece of journalism in the same way. It's not like I said there are per, you can tell me parameters, but I said I'm not going to push you on anything that you... Like, you tell me what you want to remember from this period of time because as i said the main character the allegiance to the story is new york so if you were involved there at one period of time and were important to that story in any way like i just want to hear a little from you but you don't Mm -hmm. have to carry the weight of the entire piece whereas if Connor oberst is like i want if they're like we want you to do a profile on Connor oberst but you can't talk about this huge thing that has had him in the news that basically like you know, not ruined his life, but caused a lot of problems for him emotionally and affected the record that he's written and shaped what's been said about him in the press for the last couple of years. You can't talk about that. It's like, then I can't write about him. You know, I can't. But this book, that wasn't true in the same way. But (laughs) this is the thing about oral history. When people hear what other people are talking about, all of a sudden what they want to talk about shifts. So Mm -hmm. I would often go to an interview and say, Tell me what you remember about 9-11. Tell me what you remember about, like, tell me one just really easy, like, fun conversations. What was your favorite bar? What's your favorite show that you saw? Like, if you had to describe your average night in 2003, like, the most fun part of your band, what was that? Blah, blah, blah. But then it, as it got closer to an actual structure, you would have to say, okay, so I just want to let you know that all four members of your band who I've already talked to talked about your first rehearsal and said X, Y, or Z happened, even if it's not controversial. And all of a sudden that person would pretty invariably be like, okay, well, actually, I think we played this song first. And actually, and so oral history does lend itself to, to I think, forcing people in a way I didn't quite realize at the beginning to comment on things they might not have initially wanted to comment on.
2: Your side, my side, the truth, yeah. that kind of thing.
3: It's Rashomon, though. I mean, people, this book is not true, Like it's not. Oh, now I know what happened.
5: Right.
3: It's that's that's the point. Like that's why I wanted to do it as oral history, even though only a crazy person decided that. That did not understand how much work it was going to be. But (laughs) I knew it was not a good idea to try to like
4: pre-cabin, Lizzie.
3: (laughs) Yeah, pre-cabin. Yeah, I was like (laughs) the person that used to be able to survive New York City (laughs) decided that was a good idea. This person no longer thinks that. But you can't tell what happened to this many people like anything like accurately or be i'm certainly not qualified to be the sort of like the sort of uh i don't know like voice from on high that comes down and settles the debate about whatever any number of things that come up in this book you have to let everyone have their say and the truth is the emotional resonance of how it feels to read it and hopefully that syncs up somewhat with how it felt to be there and still no one knows what happened (laughs) which is like life you know
0: That's a thin clap. That was a good one, man. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so let me give you a little behind the scenes. Uh, well, first of all, thanks to Lizzie for coming by. Lizzie, that was great. That was great. Pick awesome. up, pick up her book. Meet me in the bathroom. I read it. It's great. It takes a little while because it's like five or six hundred pages, but it goes very fast, um, which is a testament to. Lizzie's. Do I
1: get me- do I get mentioned in the book a lot? Or There's a
0: whole it? chapter about you, Brad. There is. I know. There's this whole chapter about how the Goops um, inspired the Strokes. <laughs> which is which is uh, a lot of people don't know about but I don't want to give that away um, but yeah in bet- when we do these outros you have to clap in order to see where it gets broken up that's a little peek behind the veil and Brad thinks I suck at clapping dude don't give away and you secrets. also suck
1: at giving technical descriptions of technique
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> um, yeah so Brad thanks for booking Lizzie on the podcast uh that was really cool of you to do. And uh, this is like the most like passive-aggressive. Can we start over? Let's start over. I don't, like I don't like that. Come on. It's so revealing. All right. Fine. Fine. Thanks, Lizzie, for coming by. Uh, now you guys can see the real Brad. I know he seems like such a nice guy. We're um, at the
1: end. We're at the end. There's the nobody end. here right now. There's no are here. you here? Because maybe this is why we don't get any fucking money. Because these, are, this is how we wait till now to ask for it.
0: <laughs> if you want to donate, do I have to even do this. If you want to donate, you can figure out how to donate. Venmo at Off Track. You can send us money via PayPal. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You, you know the drill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> subscribe love subscribe, us subscribe love us Send us vibes
0: yeah tweet at us tweet at jonah whatever tweet at me <laughs> uh i went to a show i went to go see the Men singers the other night and there was a guy from england who's a fan of the podcast what was his name i don't remember he sent me uh he sent me a very nice message Uh oh cool so uh thanks dude yeah he made me look really cool in front of jeff rosenstock we we're wow. hanging out and i was like i was like jeff hold on man i gotta talk I gotta talk to the fan excuse me <laughs> i right. know a british guy yeah i was like i know this is very rude uh
1: it's good that he had an accent, too. Yeah.
0: No, it was cool. Uh, he also has a podcast. Um, what's it called? Like, I wish I could remember the name of his podcast. Is it like
1: Biscuits with the Queen or
0: something? <laughs> yes, that's it. It's called Biscuits with the Queen. It's and something like... I know that podcast. Boredom or something. something about being bored or something like that. I don't know. I'm
1: so bored with the USA.
0: Yes, that is it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thanks to Lizzie for coming by Sorry this, intro- this outro is so bad And uh, we'll be back with another podcast next Never week Never
1: apologize
0: <laughs> Bye